Welcome to another episode of EHA Unplugged. Today, we have with us Professor Anna Sereda, who has extensive experience in CAR T-cell therapy. We've taken the opportunity to ask Professor Sereda a few questions. She explains the available CAR T treatments for lymphomas, focusing on diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and the challenges of CAR T therapy in the current treatment landscape. She also considers the possibility of using CAR T-cells in second-line treatment, or earlier, and in combination with other drugs. Listen on and enjoy the podcast. Let's start with a brief introduction from Professor Sereda herself. My name is Ana Sureda. I am the head of the clinical hematology department at the Catalan Institute of Oncology in Barcelona, Spain. I'm also the president of the BMT and uh, one of the co-chairs of this fifth edition of the EU CAR-T-cell meeting here in Rotterdam. To start off our discussion, could you tell us about the products that are approved for lymphomas? And for what targets? So basically, lymphoma is the uh, the major indication for CAR T cell therapy nowadays. If we talk about approved and commercial products, so the biggest histology is aggressive B cell lymphoma, mainly uh, diffuse large B cell lymphoma. We have three different autologous anti CD19 CAR T cell products that were approved several years ago by both the FDA and EMA on the basis of three uh, phase two prospective clinical trials. Um, I would say that the three of them um, are being currently used in US outside prospective clinical trials. So Axicel, the pivotal trial was Zuma 1, uh, Tisagen, the pivotal was Juliet, and Lysocell, the pivotal was the Transcend trial. When we come to Europe, Although the three of them have been approved by EMA, uh, we only have experience outside prospective clinical trials with AxiCell and with TisaCell. That would be patients with aggressive B-cell lymphoma failing at least two prior lines of therapy. That was the initial indication for these autologous constructs. And this is where we have uh, more information regarding real-world evidence that basically indicate that the results are pretty much the same. If we talk about um, relap refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, we have two constructs that have been approved more recently by the FDA and by EMA on the basis of two uh, phase three randomized prospective clinical trials that compared uh, the CAR T-cell construct with the standard of care for patients with primary refractory disease and early relapse. Um, Zuma 7 is the positive trial for AXI-Captagen, and that's the reason why AXI uh, was approved by FDA and by EMA. And the TRANSFORM trial is the pivotal trial for lysocell in a similar population of patients. And we also have this product being approved by EMA. Um, I have to say that, of course, um, these approvals came only a few months or eventually one year ago. The um, first data were presented at ASH 2021. And at least in Europe, I know that there are 
few patients or not so few patients being treated in second line, but we still don't have data um, coming from real-world evidence in second line. And then there are other uh, two histologies where we also have approved products, autologous products, but which are less in number, let's put it this uh, this way, than diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So we have mantle cell lymphoma, which is another, um, in some occasions, aggressive type of B-cell lymphoma. It's significantly less frequent than um, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And we have also an anti-CD19 autologous cell construct, Tecartus, that was approved several years ago by both the FDA and EMA, and it's being used in relapse refractory patients that have failed BTK inhibitors. And the third big histology is follicular lymphoma. We have data on two uh, phase two pivotal trials that indicate the effectiveness and also the low toxicity of both Axicaptagen and Tisagen. So one SUMA trial, one of these SUMA trials, uh, this series of SUMA trials, and the Elara trial. And uh, both constructs uh, were also um, approved by FDA and IMA. But IMA more recently, and I have to say that um, there are not uh, so many, I, I mean, the evidence in real world is more limited. Professor, could you tell us more about how you see CAR-T developing in the next few years? So I think that if we talk about third-line or plus therapy, uh, the long-term follow-up data of the pivotal trials indicate that CAR-T cells are um, able to cure a significantly higher proportion of patients than when we compare them with the standard of care at that time. So they are curative in around 35 or 45% of the patients that are treated with this indication. And this is a big difference from what we had before. When we talk about what we have before, we always think about the Scholar 1 study, which is a retrospective study that was including patients with relapse refractory aggressive B-cell lymphoma and that were treated with the standard of care. And here, the complete remission rate was less than 10%, and the median overall survival was only six months. So CAR-Ts have been able to significantly improve their results, and we can consider that they are curative, of course not in 100%, but they are curative in a significant proportion of patients. So I think that that's a big change. Um, we still need to work a little bit more on how CAR-Ts are going to be used in second line, this is a more recent indication. Um, as I presented in my presentation, we need to work more on prognostic factors because not all patients do equally well with CAR-Ts and we need to identify which are the patients that are going to do better and which are the ways that we can eventually implement to improve the results of CAR-Ts in the way that we know CAR-Ts nowadays. And of course, we have to change strategies for those patients that we know are, are going to do not so well. Uh, we need to understand better how to bridge patients into CAR-T. That's another big question mark, and that will be also for the future. 
We are trying to refine as much as possible which are the patients that need bridging therapy and which is the best bridging therapy, but we still need to produce more information on that and probably this information will be coming from real world, not exactly from uh, prospective clinical trials. CAR-Ts are going to be moved to first-line therapy when we talk about diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And here we are basically talking about high-risk patients so patients that are being diagnosed with high-risk features in which we know that first-line treatment strategies are not going to give optimal results. And uh, we, also, we already have data coming from the SUMA-12 trial, which was a small phase two prospective clinical trial, including only 50 patients that uh, was looking at the role of oxycaptogen in this high-risk newly diagnosed patients with um, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And probably in the future, we are going to see big randomized phase three prospective clinical trials that will challenge, let's say, the standard of care in these patients with the introduction of these CAR-Ts. So that will be also for the future. And another important thing that was not discussed by me, but it was discussed by Marco Ruela, who was uh, another one of the speakers in the first session is to try to, bend, to better understand which are the mechanism of resistance of patients, uh, why patients are relapsing or failing CAR T cell therapy, and this will allow us to probably better identify the best treatment approaches for these patients that have relapsed CAR T. We already have a little bit of information coming from. Uh, real-world data, but we still need to work on that. Speaking of relapse, could you please shed some light on how many patients relapse after CAR-T treatment? So uh, if we talk about uh, diffuse larvae cell lymphoma, more than 50% of the patients at the end relapse. So if you look at the survival curves of the pivotal trials, the survival curve has a plateau at around 40 to 50%, so we can say that half of the patients will eventually relapse. Usually relapses are being seen quite early after CAR T-cell infusion, and you can see that the curves uh, usually have a plateau, so it means that if, for instance, after three years you have a patient with this type of disease, that it's alive and disease-free, most probably this patient is not going to relapse but we have 50% of the patient relapsing. And if we go to the second line setting, at least in the population of patients where the second line setting has been tested, so the event-free survival curves are also around 40% at two years. So it means that more than 50% of the patients will fail. So it's also a big and medical need because we need to try to find out which is the best treatment strategy for these patients that still with the constructs that nowadays we are using, because of course there are many future developments that are trying to tackle pre uh, precisely this problem of relapses. Nowadays, um, we still have a significant proportion of patients that cannot make it. Thanks, Professor Sereda. That brings us to our final question. Do you still see CAR-T as a one-time treatment? In principle, most of the protocols consider one dose of CAR-T and that's it. Um, 
if we move to the allogeneic uh, CAR T cell field, um, which is another field that it's being explored, and eventually allogeneic CAR T cells can have some potential benefits over autologous CAR T. Uh, there is the option to infuse several doses of CAR T to try uh, to maintain the response and to try to maintain uh, adequate levels of CAR T in, in, in the blood. Um, in acute lymphoblastic leukemia is quite clear, in lymphoma is not so clear, but patients that do relapse usually have less persistence of CAR T in peripheral blood. So one of the objectives is to try to increase the persistence of CAR T in peripheral blood, assuming that this per persistence is associated with lower possibilities for the patients to relapse. And this can be done with eventually sequential infusions or eventually um, introducing modifications in the treatment and combining CAR T with eventually by specific monoclonal antibodies. There have been uh, trials combining CAR T with checkpoint inhibitors just to modify the um, T cell lymphocyte population um, of cells. So, yeah, so we need to better understand, first of all, which are the me mechanisms, why these patients relapse, and of course, then build on the system that we already have in place to make it more effective. We hope you enjoyed this episode of EHA Unplugged. Check our show notes or visit the EHA campus for more content related to CAR-T.